Hello and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Charlie. This week we've got something a little bit different. A good friend of mine in Chiang Mai called Ash has just started a new podcast called the CNX Podcast. We had an interesting chat about birding, about bird guiding, about traveling, about all sorts of stuff. So I hope you enjoy this episode of CNX Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show today, Mr. Charlie Hess. Thanks, Ash. Good to be here. <laughs> so, Charlie, thank you very much for coming in. You, to me, are a husband, you're a father, um, and I know of you primarily as a birder. <laughs> Now, that statement, the first time I heard it, I actually wasn't aware that that was the phrase for a, like a devoted bird watcher. I know now that you are the host of the Naturally Adventurous podcast. That's right. That's right. Good. I know that you're a tour leader mm -hmm. with tropical birding. Correct. And that you do a lot of overseas birding expeditions with clients. That's right. And that you are a tutor at the online school of birding. <laughs> so please just give us a little bit of insight. What's the big deal with birding? Birding is huge around the world. It's absolutely huge. I mean, uh, I, I didn't come prepared with any numbers, but I mean, you know, it, it's millions and millions and millions of people, you know, and uh, it's, you look at the UK population, what, 60 million people, probably 1 million of those uh, members of the, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, you know, yeah. So you're talking, you know, one in 60 people in the UK is some kind of bird watcher, wow. at least. And many, many more in the States. You know, it's a huge thing around the world. It's a very varied thing. It takes on different aspects. Some people just look at birds. Other people feed birds. Other people photograph birds. Some people travel and look at birds. So there's a whole lot of different ways to do it. Some people twitch. You might have heard of, of, of twitchers. Well, I have, but what's the difference between a <laughs> twitcher and a bird watcher? So I wouldn't really consider myself a twitcher but I am a birder. A twitcher is somebody that goes to look for a specific bird. Say some really rare bird turns up in your area or wherever, you know, and then you rush off to go and look for that particular bird. Maybe it's a, a, a vagrant, which is a, a bird that's not normally there and has come from somewhere else. So, okay. you know, in the UK, sometimes you get a, a bird from the US that just gets lost and flies over. And all the, all the British birds, they just go nuts. And they just, you know, they, thousands of them turn up to try and find this extremely rare bird. And that is called twitching. Right. That's a twitcher. That's a twitcher. I have been known to twitch, but I, I wouldn't consider myself a, you know, a compulsive twitcher. But uh, yeah, that's the difference between uh, birding and twitching. Some of the things you mentioned in your introduction for me are things that I started during COVID. I've been a, a tour leader for probably 15 years or more, but um, I started a podcast. Um, I wrote a book. I did a lot of things during COVID. Yeah, some of the things you mentioned there. Well, I'd love to talk to you mm -hmm. about the tours. But before that, obviously, you just mentioned my buzzword, which is podcasting. <laughs> um, tell me about your podcast. Naturally Adventurous is a podcast about not specifically birds, but we do often talk about um, traveling in search of birds. But it can be, uh, it's kind of sort of nature travel podcast. So we get people on the travel Often overseas, we talk about a lot of different places. I don't know how many countries we've covered on the podcast. It's probably well over 50. 
We talk about people going in search of mountain gorillas or people that go in search of different mammals around the world or different birds. We've talked about food, top bird watching locations for food. We've talked about different cultural things. We've talked about uh, travel safety. So we talk about anything related to specifically nature travel. And also because you know it's adventurous, we talk about uh, a lot of travel stories, about adventure stories, things that, that happen when people travel. Who is we when you mention we? My co-host on the podcast is a guy called Ken Behrens. He's another um, tour leader. It's quite a- I thought you were going to say Twitcher. Uh, he probably has been known to Twitch, but yeah, he would again, he wouldn't consider himself a Twitcher. Um, he's a pretty well-known guy in the, in the birding scene. He's mm-hmm. uh, author of several books. Uh, one he co-authored with me, The Habitats of the World. He's written bird books on uh, Ethiopia, on South Africa, um, on Madagascar, Wildlife Guide to Madagascar. So he's, uh, yeah, he's a very well-traveled guy with a lot of travel stories, yeah. Cool. When you go on tours, do you, do you go together? We have co-guided, yeah. So if I'm leading a tour, I will usually be on my own with a smaller group. So say we have, you know, three, four or five people, I'll, I'll, I'll be taking those people around on my own. But if, it, if it's a bigger group, 10, 12 people sometimes, we'll, we'll have a, a second tour leader to help. So yeah, we've, we've co-guided a lot in a lot of different countries, yeah. yeah. Give me um, just like an example, give me some flavor. Like where, where have you been on tour? <laughs> Because I lived in South Africa for a long time. You know, my wife, who you know well, um, is South African. I lived in South Africa for nine years. So I do a lot of tours to South Africa. Just for the uh, the listeners <laughs> in the Chiang Mai community, your wife is Ronelle and your son is Felix. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you're a Panyadin parent. I am. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah, I've done a lot of tours in, in Southern Africa. I lived in Japan for many years. So I've been I've been leading tours to Japan for many years now. I go to Taiwan, I do uh, other places in Africa, I do uh, Namibia, Madagascar a lot. I do 10 to 12 tours a year, cool. and that can be in 10 to 12 different countries in a year. So I, wow. I travel a lot. I travel to countries where I have a lot of experience, okay. of, also of the language, of the nature. Yeah, That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. It's and, a great and, job. And the places that you just listed there all, mm. all felt very exotic. Is that <laughs> because you're going to see more interesting wildlife there? Wherever you go, you see different things. If I take people to Japan, I'll be showing them these beautiful white cranes dancing in the snow and, the, you know, the biggest owl in the world coming down and eating, eating fish out of a little frozen stream at night. If I go to South Africa, I'll be showing them dancing blue cranes and, um, and, and big hornbills and secretary birds and things and, and a lot of um, wildlife on safari as well. Um, if I go to Madagascar, I'll be showing them lemurs. So, yeah, everywhere you go is another fascinating thing to look at that's amazing so i imagine from what you've said you've been to some pretty incredible places which is like from your career point of view what what's been your highlight what's been the the most magical birding moment oh <laughs> that's quite a quite a question a place that's got a very special part of my life is is japan i, I lived in japan for five years and it, it feels very much like a second home for me I love the culture as well as uh, the wildlife. So going back there every year is a real is a real pleasure. Love the food there as well. I love explaining the culture to people. So that's very cool. But I just love going to new places, and it's a job that always gets me to new places. I went to I, I, I led a tour to, to Fiji for the first time just a couple of months ago, and I got to see some of these things that I've been um, hoping to see for for years and years. So 
it's a great job to get you traveling. That's one of my great passions in life is traveling. Let's just use those UK stats that you said earlier, mm. that there's a million bird fanatics, bird watchers, bird enthusiasts. How many people actually do your job? There's different levels of what I do. I, I would call myself a, an international tour leader. I take people all around the world. Um, so people that actually do what I do, you're talking about a, maybe a few hundred yeah. in the world. Globally, yeah, right. Globally. And there's people that do it on a more localized scale. You know, there's, there's bird guides in, in different countries. And then, you know, you're talking more, more thousands and thousands. Yeah. What skills do you need to be a great tour leader? It's a great question. <laughs> a lot of young people that want to get into the job, they think it's just going to be a way for them to, to travel for free. Yeah. That they're going to go birding and, and again, it's all going to be paid for. Fantastic. But there's, those kind of people don't usually last very long. Uh, you've, see, you've seen them come and go. I've seen them come and go. Yeah. You need a lot of people skills. You need, you need patience. Right. Um, I think is, is number one. Uh, you need uh, organization. You can't just be turning up late. You've, you've got to know exactly what you're doing. So the organization, the people skills, you, you need a, a good level of birding. You know, you can, you can be good at bird watching the same as you can be good at anything else, you know. So, and then, you know, the same as anything else, the more you do, the better you get. So we tend to be pretty highly skilled bird watchers. But yeah, there's a lot more to it, even driving skill, because sometimes we, we go places and we actually drive as well. So you mean like off-road driving? Or? It can be off-road driving. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You said patience. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the one that I think <laughs> of, because that's how, yeah. I, that's how I think of bird watching. It's like you'll have a, a bit like fishing for me. It just mm-hmm. like not my thing, not my sport. Yeah. You need tremendous amount of patience. But were you talking about patience with your guests, with your clients or waiting for the elusive bird to appear both in a way i think more on the the client management side of things i think you do need patience to wait for birds but you tend to know how long you're going to need you know I, I know this bird i know it might not turn up for 30 minutes and i'll i'll, I'll just sit there until you know I, I think we've had a good chance to see it but um yeah mainly it's with people you can get a lot of difficult people on tours there's always a lot of challenges so just being patient with people you can point things out and people just forget the, the bird's name straight away. You know, they would say, what's this bird called again? You know, and, and after the 50th time they've asked you that, you know, you, you just got to, oh, yeah, no, you just say the name again. You know, it's, uh, so uh, yeah, you need a lot of, uh, you need a lot of patience with people. So that's the, the skills. What about the tools or equipment? What, what, what do you need to actually purchase to, to do your first tour? Uh-huh. You need probably 10,000 US dollars worth of gear. Really? Yeah, you need uh, you need a top end uh, binoculars which can go for um, two to three thousand dollars. Yeah. You need a high end scope which can be four thousand dollars. Photography is an ever increasingly important part of the job, so you need a decent camera to take pictures of the tour of the birds and things like that, and that can cost you anything from three thousand dollars to as much as you want to pay. You know, you can spend twenty thousand dollars on a camera easily. You need laser pointers. You need uh, Bluetooth speakers. What what do you do with your laser pointer? So if you can imagine I'm with a group in a a forest somewhere, I've heard some rare bird that we're looking for and I've heard it make a sound. So on my phone, I'll pull up the sound of that bird and I'll play it through my Bluetooth speaker and that will sort of bring this bird in close so everybody can see it. Now we're talking, because I wondered if you were going to set traps or, you know, like construct 
the perfect scene, you know, hoping that the bird will come down and then you've got the, the ultimate photo. But you're actually saying you would play sounds to bring them in. Yeah. And yeah. They, they can't tell a Bluetooth speaker from a real... Bird. No, no, that's the thing. But um, it's it's quite a, an art form in itself. They, this is called playback in the, in the birding okay. world. And the use of playback is, is quite a... It's a controversial thing because it can disturb the birds a yeah. little bit. You know, if, they, if they're breeding and you're playing this tape, they're going to think you're another another male in their territory or another female that they want to display to or whatever. So you're giving signals to birds. So it's something that has to be used in moderation. Yeah, that's what you do. You know, sometimes there'll be a little shy bird and, and it will just appear in the undergrowth and you, you take your Bluetooth speaker and you put it down there in a little gap and you all kind of stand back and, and wait for this little bird to cross a gap or whatever. There's all sorts of skills to it. But yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the things. Sometimes they're hopping around in the trees and you need a laser pointer to point to people. You say, look, it's up in the tree and people, which, which tree, which branch, you know? So you, you, you're you getting a little laser pointer and pointing out the birds um, where they are. So yeah, there's a lot uh, a lot of different parts to it. Mm. Just for the listeners, Ash got a big, uh, a big grin on his face. I'm, I'm, I'm always <laughs> smiling, but yeah, no, I, I just, I was picturing you with yeah. your laser pointer in yeah. the underground, just uh, kind of like highlighting to uh-huh. to me as your uh, as your client what I was to look for. Yep. That's cool. So let's let's kind of like bring this whole birding scene back around to Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. What's the bird scene like here? It's great. Chiang Mai, I would probably put Chiang Mai as the best province for birding in Thailand. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's Why prob- is that? It's probably got the highest number of species. It's probably got the highest diversity of habitats, even though it has no coast. It's got a, a whole range of different mountains. It's got different birds coming down. If you've got the mountains like Doi Sitep and Doi Intanon and uh, all these kind of places, they, these are some of the final extensions of the Himalayas. So you're seeing a lot of these birds that you might see in the Himalayas of India. So you've got those things coming down. You've got birds wintering in Chiang Mai, all different types. You've got a lot of rice fields. You've got them um, areas of scrub. So the, it's a very diverse area. You've got the highest mountain in Thailand with birds on the very top that you only get there. You know, there's one bird that you only get on that, that the top of that one mountain, you know. So it's a really fascinating place to be. Mm, that's cool. And if people have heard this and thought, oh, <laughs> I'd like to give that a go. How? What's your advice to someone if they, if they just want to get started? Like maybe their children are interested or, uh-huh. or they're interested themselves. What do we do? How do we get started spotting birds? There's a couple of groups, Facebook groups that you can join based in Chiang Mai. One is called the Lana Bird Club. Okay. And it has a lot of members. I think it's probably got about 2,000 members um, on, on the Facebook group. They organise... Um, I would say, I think it's maybe monthly meetings. So they'll meet up in some place and uh, and go birding together and they, they can give you a good start. There's a fairly new kind of expat group called Chiang Mai Birders. Okay, good name. Good good name, yeah. Started by a friend of mine who's also called Charlie. Okay. We're the two Chiang Mai Charlies. <laughs> okay. And um, yeah, he's recently started. He's been going maybe close on a year now um, and he does a monthly bird walk. Which you can uh, which you can come along to and join. Uh-huh. The thing you need for bird watching is is a pair of binoculars. Right. So you know I'm happy to recommend a pair. You know there's some uh, brands Bushnell or Nikon or whatever that you can get fairly inexpensively. Um, you spend you know three four thousand baht on one, and it's a one time investment. People go doing all sorts of activities, and every time they go along, they're paying three four five hundred baht whatever. So this is something where you just invest in once, and then you can go out and enjoy yourself so it's uh, definitely 
worth investing in in some binoculars that uh, that are nice to look through. Mm. That's one of the big mistakes that people make is just get something very very cheap that you can't really see. So yeah, it's worth. Every time I uh, do a phone call to someone overseas. Uh-huh. They're just amazed. I don't even really tune into it, but they're amazed <laughs> by the background noise of all the birds that yeah. are just like around my garden. And mm-hmm. they're like, wow, you live in the most incredible place because, <laughs> because they can hear us. What sort of birds will we hear every day in Chiang Mai? During COVID, I, I took groups of kids out birding and everybody's like, you know, where are we going to go? Are we going to go to the mountains? Are we going to go here? And I said, no, let's, let's go around a, a Muban. Let's go around a little housing estate. And you can see a lot of birds in these places. You know, you see a lot of bulbuls are a very common one. There's one called the red-whiskered bulbul. You might know it. it's got a little black crest and a little white cheek and a little red dot. You'll, you'll, uh-huh. you'll, yeah, and they've got a nice little tweety song that they call. Uh, you get these tailor birds, these little kind of warbler type birds. They go choo, 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 choo. Uh-huh. They're always um, appearing on my podcast, the uh, tailor birds. You'll get miners calling. You'll get um, um, oriental magpie robin singing from the roofs. And yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of, you know, there's probably 20 or so very common birds that are found like throughout the city. Um, yeah. Amazing. Cool. So Charlie, that has been an, a very <laughs> insightful intro yeah. into the world of birding. So I'd just like to leave it there and say that's the end of part one. <laughs> Okay, thank you, Charlie. We're back in part two. We just had a very nice intro into the world of birding. What's like the misconceptions with birding? Why would people like me think, oh, that's not very interesting? <laughs> like it almost has like that reputation of train spotting. Yeah. What's the misconception it, that everyone thinks of? It has a bit of a stigma, especially in Britain, I would say. It has quite a a stigma for being a kind of geeky sport, you know, anoraks, lots of uh, geeky guys, you know, riding down train numbers and stuff like that. It's a, it's sort of considered on the same yeah. level as that. And this is my question. Is that a misconception or is that how it is? It's how part of it is. Right. Yeah. Maybe the twitching scene is a little bit more like that. Yeah. But like I said, you can do birding in a lot of different ways. A lot of people are getting into bird photography now. And that is maybe considered a little cooler, you know, them creating beautiful images, um, uploading them to, to social media, um, sharing the beauty with uh, lots of different types of people, taking videos and making little short films and stuff. So there's a, a lot of different ways to do it. One interesting thing is that birding used to be mainly done by certain nationalities, a lot more than others. Okay. Um, it was predominantly a sort of uh, British or kind of Anglo you know, British, Australian, US thing, plus some kind of Scandinavians, uh, Swedish, Norwegians, the Dutch are big birders like that. So there was the, there was this kind of Northern European thing to it. But I think the popularity of birding photography has broadened the appeal for a lot of people. So um, a lot of Asian cultures seem to get a lot more into the photography side of it. You see a lot of uh, Japanese, Chinese, Singaporeans, and, and a lot of Thais, the mm. birding photography is very popular amongst Thais. And most people you'll see going out, enjoying birds, will be trying to take pictures of them. Yeah. So there's uh, there's different ways. There's different ways to do it. When did you get into it? Were you, is it as a, a young boy or was yeah. it later in life? Yeah, no, straight I, away. I was, yeah, I was young. I was probably 
by the time I was eight years old, I was I was pretty keen. Yeah, really? so maybe even before that, six, seven years Where'd old. Where'd that come from? From your parents? Or? I was always, I've always had this intense curiosity for wildlife. I've always been nuts about animals. Certainly in the UK, if you go out into nature and you look for animals, you tend to see birds. It's kind of difficult to go out and, and see badgers or foxes or, or, or deer or anything like that. You know, you might see 20 species of birds, you might see a squirrel. You know, so I would always go out wanting to experience nature and I would just see birds more and more. And I, I wouldn't say I was any more interested in birds and mammals at okay. the time, but it, it's just that they were always there. They're so they're, they're just everywhere, you know. Yeah. So that was what got me into it was the love of nature, love of being outside. And I was in a sort of country area. And my father, he wasn't so much a bird watcher. He had a pair of binoculars, which I kind of borrowed and a bird book. And then that was me. And that, that's what got me started. And did you start by going on someone else's tour or did you just launch straight into doing your own tours? It was something I did on my own for many years. I didn't really have anybody that took me out or anybody that I did it with. Okay. So it was very much a sort of um, solo activity for me. I hope you don't mind me asking this, yeah. but I'm just intrigued. <laughs> so on either your solo tours or tours that you've run internationally with clients, yeah. can you tell me like, what's your biggest failure? My biggest failure. When you've been on a tour and you've like had either expectations or set something up, what's been the thing that's gone wrong? And what springs to mind when I ask that? We have birding jargon. There's a lot of uh, like twitch, you know, I told you that's looking for a, a specific kind of bird. There's another piece of birding jargon, which is dip, D-I-P. Okay. And dipping on something is going to look for something and failing to find it. Yeah. And it's a big part of bird watching. You know, if, if you saw what you were looking for every single time. It wouldn't quite be so much fun. That kind of, um, the feeling that you don't know whether you're going to see it or not is quite, it's quite exciting. Yeah. You know, so you go out on a Twitch and you're oh, we're going to see this. Oh, I really want to see it. Oh, you know, missed it. Oh, everybody says you should have been here five minutes ago. You know, we were all looking at it and it flew away. So birding is just full of this like um, hit and miss, you know, failing to see things. And some people get kind of upset. If you go on a big twitch, if you, you drive for 10 hours to look for something and it's not there, you know, it's disappointing. Mm. But I've come to sort of get used to that. You know, I don't, if I give something my best shot, I don't feel too bad. And this is something I try and, uh, I try and set expectations when I'm, when I'm leading a tour that, you know, this is birding. We all know what it's like. You don't always see what you're looking for. And, you know, I try and tell people maybe we've got a, a 50% chance of seeing this bird. So I try and set expectations on a tour. But I also realize that myself when I'm going somewhere that I might not see it. But that really is, is what part of what makes birdwatching quite exciting. Cool. So there's been no like massive disasters or any like terrible incidents that you could share with us. On the your, on the your one travels. thing which kind of wakes me up at night sometimes in a cold sweat, I went to see a bird and I failed to see it, which, I've, which has happened many times. But that bird may well be extinct now. Really? Yeah. So that, I, I might never see that bird because I missed it. What um, does, what does, you see, the way that you say that, yeah. it's like, what does that mean to you? That you're, there, was a, there was that opportunity? Yeah, there was, that, there was only one opportunity to see it for me. I went there and I, I missed it. And that was the time that I had to look for it. And then subsequently, um, very few years after that, the, the bird became extinct. This was a bird called the Cebu flowerpecker in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And it's a very frustrating thing to miss something. And I think I had one person on each side of me and they were both looking at this bird. And they were like, look, look in there. And I'm looking and I just couldn't see it. 
and then it it flew away and then that was it and I that that was my only chance ever to see this thing for me one of the saddest things in life is is extinction is an animal becoming extinct a dodo you know or a Tasmanian tiger or whatever you know just just not being able to see that anymore it's, it's just an incredibly sad thing for me so yeah that is one thing that was very disappointing for me mm. as a tour leader <laughs> what's the best compliment that you've ever received the best compliment oh you've got some good questions today I think people can compliment your birding skill but that doesn't really compliment you as a as a tour leader I think thank you for your patience I really enjoyed the tour you know thank you you've you've really made this an enjoyable tour I think that, in the end, is job satisfaction. Part of your job is looking for things. If you don't find them, it doesn't really matter. As long as they've had fun, they've, they've enjoyed it. And often it's not about seeing absolutely everything. It's about them going away from a place and having enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I get that. That's, I, I can feel that from you that, yeah. you, that you would run a good tour. And then just at the start of that answer, you said, oh, you can get a compliment for being a good birder. Yeah. So we know you're a, tour, a good tour guide. Like I can feel that. <laughs> what, what, how are you a good birder? Like what makes the difference? That's an, another interesting question. And, and there's different criteria, I'd say. That, uh, one is a, it's a knowledge of birds. Um, it can be a knowledge of how to identify birds. Some people can identify something that's very similar to another bird. One thing is just having the the skill of of locating something. You know, if I if there's an incredibly difficult to see bird, I know how and when to see it. You know, I'll know what time of day to go. I'll know what call to use. Maybe it's got a little chipping call, and maybe it's got a little song. And you know, you've got to know all these very very intricate subtleties to be able to find things. Sometimes, so yeah, being able to find birds is good. Having a a good eye for habitat. I know this bird likes this particular kind of grass or this bird likes this type of flower that it feeds on or whatever. So having a knowledge of habitats and behaviours and things like that, I think for me, is what makes a good birder. Presumably you have to research that before you go out. Like you couldn't possibly know that about all the birds, could you? No, it takes a lot of preparation. Yeah, it can be... um, So when I go to a place for the first time, I'm doing a huge amount of background research before I go. So by the time I get there, I know everything about this this place. You know, I know how many times a bird has been seen and uh, I know um, what time of day, I know who's seen it, I know, you know, the exact location, I've got all the GPS points marked, I've got all the different types of vocalizations downloaded. I've, You know, you do your homework and then that's part of uh, what makes a good guide, yeah. Wow. You've actually got me quite excited now. <laughs> I think I'd like to go birding with you. Come anytime. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, the, the, if you wanted to do that, the, the best way to start would be to go on one of the Facebook groups that you mentioned earlier and go on just like a local walk or hike. Yeah. That's going to cost you not much at all, I presume. No, no. I mean, um, a few hundred baht to support the tour guide. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's one thing. There's some apps you can download. There's one called Merlin. Okay. Merlin Bird ID. You can download that for free. And it has packs. It has a Southeast Asia pack that you can download. And then that will have all the birds in a particular place. It will have all the bird calls from a particular place. You can go and buy yourself a bird book. Go down to the, the bookshop. And they'll have, um, they've got several good bird books um, for Thailand. So buy yourself a bird book. I can um, give some advice on what um, some binoculars to get. So, you know, if you've got a bird book and a pair of binoculars, you know, you're good to go. You you're can, off. Yeah. So that's how we could get started. Give me the other end of the scale. Like what's the most extravagant package or what's like, what's like the top end birders retreat or tour that, that 
you could lead someone on? Um, that's an interesting thing. I I think if people have money to put into it, and if they, I mean, normally is 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 just give it a try and see if you like it, you know. But if you if you do really like it and you do have resources, it's get yourself a good pair of binoculars. Mm. That's that's number one. You're going to enjoy it so much more really? if you're looking at this beautiful clear image, which is great. Play around with photography, you know. Try a camera. You probably love taking pictures of birds. And it, and if you enjoy this and you want to travel and see the world, there's no limit to where you can go. That where where people like me can take you. You know, we can go to Antarctica. You know, we can. Uh, we can go to Papua New Guinea to look at um, birds of paradise displaying, you know, this, the kind of stuff that you've seen growing up on David Attenborough documentaries, you know, that you can, you can see that stuff yourself. And it's, for me, it's the most exciting thing in the world. So um, give it a go and see if it's for you. Sure. Because you've mentioned binoculars a couple of times mm. and you kind of said, look, that's, that's a really good way to do it. Mm. Maybe you could just throw a couple of brands in just so that people know or they, they would know what to search for if they were looking for binoculars. So, so what would be like the, the good entry level binoculars that would set you off and you know you were going to have a good time with? Yeah, there's a, a brand called Bushnell. Okay. Um, you can buy them on Lazada. You look for the price range of about, I think they're going... Maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred baht. Oh, that's way less than what I thought you were going yeah, to say. Yeah, that's that's you know, if you don't have too much money to to, to spend, that's something where you're gonna you're gonna see a clear image. Great, which is great. The next level up, there's something called the Nikon Pro Staff, which is a very nice binocular, and those you're talking maybe four to five thousand baht. So yeah, that is probably the one that I would recommend if people can, can afford it. It's, yep. a, it's a Nikon Pro Staff, uh-huh. and they're also for sale on on Lazada. Yeah, cool. so they're they're great. Yeah. So what have you got? I have Swarovskis. The sort of top three brands for birders: one is Swarovski, one is Zeiss, and one is Leica. Right. And as I mentioned before, you know the sort of top end bracket is sort of two to three thousand US dollars. Yep. And they're beautiful, you know. But with binoculars, you tend to be paying a lot more for just a small increase in quality. Okay. You know, if you, from $100 binoculars, you can go up to $500 binoculars and then they're, you know, they're not that much worse than $2,000 binoculars. But, you know, when you're doing it professionally or when it's something that's your thing, you know, you want to have the best picture that you can afford, yeah. And then just my final question on mm. on this kind of like actually watching and spotting <laughs> is do you feel that if you're looking it through a lens, so if you're looking through a camera, uh-huh. it's different to looking at the bird through natural eyesight. Like, would you prefer to see it live in reality, you know, through your naked eye? Or is it just fine to look at it through a lens? There's different lenses as well. I, I use a, a scope and uh, and binoculars and I have a camera and then looking through those different things you're seeing different things as well yeah. so I don't think you see it quite as nicely if you're only looking through a camera I think you're getting a, a clearer image and you can see it better by looking through binoculars rather than a camera some for bird photographers that only have a camera they don't use binoculars so I think it's always good to look through binoculars and for things that are further away if you're looking through a scope you get a beautiful clear image so I often put something in the scope here. Everybody's looking in their binoculars. And I say, have a look in the scope. And they say, no, no, I can see it fine looking through my binoculars. I don't no, just have a look in the scope. And they look and they go, oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, so you can, you just see more, you see more detail, you see more, you see more color. So it's worth, 
But yeah, I think if you're only looking with a naked eye, you're not seeing all those details. Right. I think so, I got it the wrong way around then. Yeah. So it's actually better to look at it through the scope. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the scopes, if you can get something in the scope. Other nice thing about a scope is it takes practice to, to be able to find things through binoculars. It's yeah. not something you can just put up to your hand and uh-huh. just see them straight away. It takes practice. But if you put something in a scope, it's a lot easier to, to look at. You know, the image is just there. So when, when I'm taking beginner birders out, I tend to show them as much as I can through the scope. And then that will kind of get them hooked. I've thought of another question. <laughs> so do you document all the birds you've seen? And in which case, is it like a numbers game? Another great question. Yeah, I do photograph as many birds as, as, I, as I can when I'm on tours. And it can be a, a numbers game. Yeah. The one thing we haven't really discussed is, is the listing aspect. Listing, there's a competitive birding. Um, here, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Are you competitive? I'm very competitive. Here we go. Yeah. Come on then, tell us about this. So... There are just under 11,000 species of birds in the world. There's an American guy at the moment who's on the verge of seeing 10,000 species. Wow. He's going to be the first human ever to, to have seen 10,000 species. What's his name? He's called Peter Kessner. He's been a, a guest on my podcast twice, actually right. three times. Okay, because um, he's, he's number one, he, certainly in terms of numbers. In numbers, yeah. I have seen about 7,400 species, and that ranks me in the top 100 listers in the world. Excellent. Yeah. And certainly, in, like within Thailand, I mean, there's may, I know one guy who actually also lives in Chiang Mai, who's um, he's seen well over 8,000 species. Okay. So, but yeah. But so I, you're, you're number two in Chiang Mai? I'm probably number two in Chiang Mai, <laughs> yeah. So that's overall number of species. I use a system called eBird, which is fascinating. It's a sort of online database you can use it for finding birds. If I'm looking for a particular bird, I can search on this program called eBird, this website, and it will show me where people have seen it recently. And then I can go and like, you know, yeah. find it. Yeah, so it's, re- it's a really cool thing. I would say this, there may be 100,000 people using eBird. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big thing. It's a popular thing. You can also put your photographs on eBird. Yeah. So I put all my photographs on eBird. And I've actually photographed 4,000 300 species and there's also a ranking for number of species that you've photographed oh, so I'm, so, i bet you're high up on this one yeah so i'm actually number eight in the world Are you serious yeah congratulations um, on number of species photographed there's another thing called a big year there was actually a movie a few years ago with uh, with jack black and uh, um yeah it was like a comedy movie okay. um, yeah and that was about um three american guys that tried to see the the, the highest number of species in one year right how many is that which is just over 700 species, yeah. Oh. 720 or so. Um, I've also um, interviewed twice a lady called Tiffany Kirsten, who's now the current US record holder at 725 species in one year. And she's a fast, and she was the first woman, I think, to see over 700. So um, she's a really fascinating lady. So, yeah, you also get this, this big year thing that goes. Um, I do an international big year. Many years I see... Um, over 2,000 species in a year, which usually puts me in the top five birders in the world for listing. Yeah, so there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's quite a competitive element to bird watching as well. Yeah, amazing. So what, what were the names of the websites if people want to check out some of those stats and check out some of your photography? Is that, is that public access? 
yeah, it is. You can't search for people, but you can you can kind of find them. Yeah, I could probably put a link on for my media in the in the show notes for that'd this. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, oh, so one is ebird.org. Okay, um, which is just an it's a it's something that's absolutely revolutionised birding in the world. It's really quite an, an incredible project. It's actually eBird that makes this Merlin app. Uh-huh. So I would definitely download the Merlin app. There is an eBird app as well. So there are a couple of things to check out. Part of the Merlin app, which isn't quite available in Thailand just yet, is a function where you can listen to birds and it will tell you what they are. So you just turn it on when a bird is singing and it will say, oh, it's this bird. And this works now in the US, in the UK, um, a little bit in India, but it's not going to be too long before it works in Thailand as well. So you'll be hearing some birds singing and then you can have an app on your phone. It's like Shazam. You Shazam know, for, for birding. Shazam for birding, yeah. So this is coming. This is this is a sort of uh, the new era of, of birding. That's yeah. awesome. You know what? You've led me so nicely on <laughs> to a little surprise that I've put <laughs> oh, together. Really? Can you guess what I've done? I cannot. I'm, okay. quite, I'm quite nervous I have about this. <laughs> 12 bird calls. Oh. And I've lined them up. Oh, wow. And I'm going to say that some of them are quite easy. Yeah. Probably to you. They're very easy, uh-huh. but let's find out. Are you up for playing? Let's the, do it. The CNX podcast bird call game. <laughs> You're up for it? I'm up for it. Okay. Give me one sec. Okay, here we go. I've queued <laughs> this up. We're back with Charlie Hess. He is Chang Mai's... I'm going to say number one. He's my, number you're one. my number one birder in Chiang Mai, <laughs> that's for sure. And I've got 12 bird calls. They're pretty random. Pretty Are these mixed. from Thailand or they're from? They're from all over the world. Oh, but they're, wow. they're okay. not they're not obscure. Okay, some of them bring them on. Are, are, well, let's find out. Let's, let's just see. Out. Let's see how you do. So let's roll number one. You get about just over 10 seconds of bird call okay. before I hit pause, and then you yeah. tell me the name. Okay, so let's start with this. Easy. How easy? Indian peafowl. Wow. Yeah. Easy. Good. The sound of India. The wild sound of India. There we go. The Indian peafowl. (laughs) So number two is going to be even easier, I think, because I think (laughs) I got got number two. Oh, nice. (laughs) But you can get specific. You can tell me specifically which one it is, or you can just say the category. No, common common cuckoo. Yeah. And... um, yeah, I've actually seen this with my son in Chiang Mai, which is a vagrant. We twitched it. Ooh, Number three. What do you reckon? I'm not sure about this one. I'm going to go with Nightingale. You are right, Charlie Hess. <laughs> you are right. I knew you'd be good at this. Yeah. So I thought the first three were were quite easy. Okay. Well. Yeah. For you, yeah, certainly not for people playing at home. Sure, but uh, let's try this one, which I think is a little bit more obscure. Okay. <laughs> yep, this is the Asian koel. Correct. Yeah, it's uh, yeah one of the wonderful sounds of uh, of Thailand. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next up. Yeah, 
So this is an owl. I'm going to go for Tawny Owl. I actually I just had owl. Oh, you just had owl. Okay. <laughs> but I knew you'd be able to embellish yeah, that and put I some detail on it. I think this is a Tawny Owl. Excellent. Five from five. <laughs> Let's keep going. Do you need a bit more? Yeah, give me a bit more. This is a tricky one because there's a, quite a lot of birds that sound like this. It was a canary. Ah. I have The picture is a yellow canary. Yeah. A canary is not necessarily a wild bird. It's become a sort of domesticated bird from other species, which is probably why I wasn't going to get it. <laughs> right. You, when you say domesticated bird from other species, you mean yeah. it's been bred? But, yeah, it's been bred. It's sort of uh, anthropogenic. Right. Um, is there a lot breed. of specific bird breeding going on? Yeah, I mean, the people. some people are interested in bird watching. Some t- people are interested in keeping birds in cages, you know. So, yeah, the canary is uh, a bird that's been uh, domesticated for a long time. It was taken down into coal pits, you know. Yeah, you would get sing, the, sing like a canary is the... Yeah, well, you know, the, you'd sometimes get these poisonous gases, yeah. sulfur and stuff like that. And when the canary died, it was it was time to get, there, get out of there. So, that, yeah, that was... Uh, Wow. Yeah. Functional bird. <laughs> um, just because you've stumbled across it now, yeah. I, I never I never thought to ask you, but like, how do you feel about breeding and captivating birds? I used to keep birds in captivity. I used to keep cage birds. Um, so I do see the appeal. So there's been a lot of birds that have become very rare and endangered because people catch them, especially in, uh, in places like Indonesia. Big part of the, the culture is to, is to keep birds in cages. So it can be very damaging to wildlife, to, um, to bird communities. So if people do keep pets, I would always make sure that they're bred in captivity and not wild caught. Can we get back to the We quiz? can. Yeah. Good, good, good. Okay, <laughs> so here is the seventh bird. Uh-huh. I would go for European starling. Ooh. The answer I had was African grey parrot. (laughs) And do you know what's special about the African grey parrot? I'm about to find out. Yeah, it's it's one of the best mimics of any species in the world. Oh wow! It mimics other birds and people as well. It can it can talk. Um, There's there's a pool that Ronelle and I often go swimming at, and they have an African grey parrot there. And and I, I I heard it. It was like hello, hello. Um, and they're incredible mimics. And when you get into the wild, they start mimicking all these other species around them. Right. So n- possibly not the best example of me to, to give you their sound because they could have been mimicking. It could something. have been mimicking another species. Tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky. Sorry about that. <laughs> the game continues. Number eight. Let's see how you get on. And I, I think just by the name of this one, I might have given you another Another tricky one. Yeah. Again, there's quite a lot of birds that sound like, like this. Yeah. Well, the answer on my sheet is uh, mockingbird. A mockingbird. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, there's three more. Let's, yeah, yeah. let's do it. Let's go for it. What do you reckon? This sounds like a vireo from North America. They have a very sort of these little repetitive phrases so red-eyed vireo or a warbling vireo the answer on my card was the hooded warbler yeah a lot of the north american birders are quite good at these ones because they sing in spring so you know you go out into a, a forest in, in north america in spring and then it's just full of these little songs okay here we go next one
Sure. Not sure of that one. It begins with C. <laughs> with C. <laughs> I think I'm right in saying this is a North American bird. A cardinal. A cardinal. Okay, yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. And then final one. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> not ringing many bells it was a woodpecker a lot of different ones yeah it could have been another north american one i would say definitely uh somebody that grew up birding in north america would probably have done a bit better there but uh yeah i thought you did great (laughs) and i would say that the quiz was a little bit uh controversial in places with mimicking birds no but certainly no it was challenging and a host that couldn't even tell you what region they were from (laughs) but you did great and i hope you enjoyed playing Uh, it was good fun yes thank you sweet Thanks. Okay, Charlie, thank you very much for coming in and giving us this amazing insight. Thank you for playing the game. Um, is there anything that I should have asked you or anything you want to you leave us with? There's one little thought that I would leave you with, which is some people are just naturally bird watchers and some people are not. Some people have a sort of innate curiosity and this is one of the great pleasures for me is exposing people to it and seeing which ones it catches them and just seeing that look in a little kid's eye they're just wide-eyed thinking wow what is this and and it's like just discovering a new world you know so when I see certain kids I can take 10 kids out and maybe maybe only one or two of them will have this like complete mad curiosity about it but when I find them, it's like it's like finding a little rough diamond, you know, somebody that's and, and it can be life changing. It can change their life. They may want to become a guide or a, an explorer or a scientist or something. You know, just that little exposure to wildlife can be life changing for people. So if you are a parent and there is an opportunity for you to be able to expose your children to this part of nature and they, they might not get into birds, they might get into butterflies, they might get into plants, they might get into anything but yeah just like give them that exposure to wildlife and just watch their expression change mm. and it's wonderful it's it's just one of the most magical things for me and i just love i love taking kids out i just love exposing them to uh to nature i think it's, it's just a, one of the best things i can do with my skill i agree mm-hmm. i think it's a good wholesome activity and uh yeah it was a, a nice little sign off there a nice little kind of just reminder to parents that that they could potentially unlock something in their own children. Mm -hmm. And who wouldn't want their kids to have like a natural hobby like that? I think it's it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So final thing, Charlie, can Mm -hmm. you just tell us where can anyone find you, uh, get in touch with you or find out more about what you offer? You can find me on Facebook. It's pretty easy. Charlie Hesse with a, with a Y. You can listen to my podcast, um, Naturally Adventurous. I actually have a second podcast called Chasing Feathers as well, which is a bit more of a sort of geeky birding one. So they're two good places to start. Yeah, I do post stuff on Facebook as well. And I'm always happy to hear from people if people want to send me an email or a message on Messenger. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Massively appreciate it. Thanks, Ash. It's been great. Cool. (laughs) 